Thank you. Um, yeah, very, 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 very flattering. Very flattering. And thanks for not mentioning the 11 caps against Georgia, Romania, uh, Argentina under 12s, America, Canada, <laughs> who else that I play against? House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. Hello and welcome along to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. I'm Emer Considine and I'm joined as always by Ian Madigan. Today we are delighted to welcome onto the show former Ulster and Ireland centre Darren Cave. Darren, pleasure to have you on to chat with us today. Thanks for having me guys. I was hoping you were going to use the word legend but you obviously haven't been on my Twitter bio recently so... Um, Look, I'll you're going to go player. you're going to have to blame producer Pat for that. I'm only just reading off a script here. I'm only joking. Um, <laughs> we can we can do that again if if you want a proper introduction. Um, but uh, we, no, I'm no, glad. I'm all, right, I'm all right. I'm all right. Thank you. I'm glad to have Ulster, former Ulster and Ireland legend Darren Cave with us here today. How have um, we'll actually chat to Darren. We'll chat to you more about you and your rugby career in part two. Um, and what you've been at since you hung up your boots and everything like that. We'll also chat a bit about Paul O'Connell joining the Irish coaching setup and that bizarre red card in the French Pro D2 on Friday evening. Um, but first, it has been reported by The Telegraph that the final two weeks of the Champions Cup may be postponed um, due to the French government. They are being very reluctant to allow even their elite sports teams to travel amid rising COVID concerns um, in Europe. So such a decision will also put the start of the Guinness Six Nations in doubt. Guys, what are your thoughts on, well, the French teams, you know, not being able to fulfil those fixtures and the possible postponement of the Guinness Six Nations and also those Champions Cups fixtures? Yeah, I think the issue is probably from the last round. We saw a lot of the games getting cancelled and then obviously the Leicester-Bayonne game, Bayonne went back to France, had a lot of the, the tested a lot of positive COVID cases and off the back of that, I think they were reluctant to go to the UK again. So I think when you look at the cases in the UK, Ireland and France at the moment, it's it's understandable that games are going to have to be cancelled and hopefully with the lockdowns that are going on at the moment in you know, two weeks time and a month's time, it's going to be a very different picture and cases will hopefully have fallen back down and we'll be able to resume games. Um, I'm sure with, with the gap now, I, I'd say we'll probably see the fixtures that were cancelled being rescheduled in these next two get two two week blocks. Um, so, you know, the likes of Leinster, Connacht, uh, Munster's missed game, you know, they can pick up on them. So hopefully we'll still have some rugby on our TVs. Yeah, Darren, what do you, what do you think your chances of the Guinness Six Nations being played are? I think if it wasn't for the Lions tour, they would probably try and um, delay it. Uh, unfortunately, it's all about money. Um, and a lot of the RFU's revenue is made on match day. It's the same with the other nations. Um, and it's money, money, money. And if there's no bums on seats, um, like it makes a big, big difference. But we all know that the money's involved with the Lions tour as well. I could see the Six Nations being delayed or postponed definitely just because I don't think the unions can afford to go um, another championship without the crowds, without the, you know, how long till the big partners and the big sponsors say, do you know what, we love supporting you, but we're not getting value for money here and we're struggling, we're making redundancies, we're, um, our sales are down, we cannot justify spending tens of millions of euros on, say, back in the national team, so... Um, it's a really, really unfortunate situation, but they need bums on seats 
And I don't know when they're going to postpone it to, but I think the unions would struggle to, to fulfill the Six Nations on time with empty stadiums. Yeah, it'll be a completely jam-packed schedule for the players if you do end up having to postpone it. And when the question is when, you're dead right, when is the right time to play those games? But Ian, we chatted last week about the Lions and potentially you know being postponed. There was a lot of stuff in the media. But since we chatted, actually, there was... They even mentioned, you know, there's a lot of people saying that the Lions tour should get moved to the UK and Ireland play a game and Ireland play a game in, in England and so on. But does that take from the actual Lions tour and the like the joy of going away on tour? Yeah, I think it certainly would. I think a big part of the challenge is, is playing away from home and beating, you know, the perceived best team in the world on their home patch. You know, it would be a big advantage for the Lions to be playing effectively at home. So I don't think that that will, will happen. Um, I don't think it's going to get moved to the UK and Ireland. I think I'm sure they're looking at moving it potentially to Australia or New Zealand because obviously, you know, the cases are lower there. So you could do, you know, a two week isolation period before and then get cracking into the tour. So you'd have effectively both sets of fans going over there. Now, I think logistically that's a, that's a nightmare, but it's either going to be that or it's going to be probably cancelled. I think it's very difficult to see how they're going to postpone it and fit it in to the schedule. When you look at, as you touched on there, KV, like the financial outlook for the home unions is is bleak enough and they're not going to forego summer tours to fit in the lines. Absolutely. And as the last 12 months have shown, you know, we just have to live it week by week and almost day by day at this stage when it comes to fixtures and postponements and cancellations. So we won't talk about what about the games that haven't been on. We might as well talk about the games that have been on. And over the weekend, there is some great clashes with the Interpros again and again as Pro 14. Unfortunately for you guys, Ian um, got that defeat against Leinster 24-12. Um, I thought you got off to a really good start, but you just didn't keep up the momentum and Leinster just managed to claw back and pull away from pull away from you even further than they were. Yeah, certainly it was a, a disappointing result for us. Uh, similar to the final of the Guinness Pro 14 last year, you know, we got off to a good start. We're right in the game, coming up to half time. And if anything, I thought that we should have been further ahead. And similar to the the, the, the final last year, we we had opportunities in that in that first half, didn't take them. Again, with the Lions share of possession in, in in the first half of that game, to be going in nine five while it was good that we weathered the the sin bin ten minutes before halftime and managed to get six points on the board. Nine five is a reflection of the first half playing with the wind and the kind of slight slope that there is in the RDS. Probably wasn't enough, but saying that the way we came out in the second half, Leinster just played that kind of territory pressure game. We made a decision, I think, a minute or two into the second half. Um, not to kick the ball back and, and we decided to run it out they made a really good tackle straight away someone's on the ball turns it over and it's a penalty and before you know it you're defending five out and once Leinster gain access to your 22 it's like an, an arm wrestle that you're just slowly losing they're very very clinical and organised in there and um, in fairness to them anytime they got access to our 22 they came away with points and we then compounded errors after that and they just you know, continued to play that pressure game and they were very, very effective with it and they were deserving of their win in the end. 
it was probably a tough time to play Leinster. Every time they've lost in any game, whether it's Champions Cup or whether it's Pro 14, they've they've come out the next day with a vengeance to prove their point. And it's, it was unfortunate that Ulster happened to be that team. Um, there was some good performances on both sides. Um, I thought that Robbie Henshaw had a great game. Um, Jordan Larmer was great to see him back after a really bad injury. Um, Darren, did you happen to see the game? Oh yes, I wouldn't miss an Ulster game. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like I thought, um, I agree with a lot of what Ian said. I actually felt like throughout the game, even though it was 24-12 and five points to zero on the league points, I did feel that for large parts of the game, it actually was quite a close game. Um, in the final back in September, I always felt like there was a wee bit of like, I think I said it on TV that day. It's almost like Ulster were the annoying wee brother that day. And Leinster, I always felt, had another gear. And if Ulster had to come back into it, Leinster would have pushed again and again. Um, but it just shows, the thing about Leinster the weekend, didn't think they played that well, but they're just so effective. They just didn't really do anything wrong. And they took their chances. And they probably didn't play that much better than Ulster. They weren't that much more deserving than Ulster. But that's just what they do. They're just programmed to win games. They're so good at it. And But on the whole of it, I thought it was a reasonably close game. And the thing that I do think is really exciting for Ulster, um, I don't have it right in front of me, but after the game it showed the fixtures um, left this season. And if you told, if you'd have said to me two weeks ago that Ulster were going to when the, the format changed, that you had to finish top. If you just said to me, Ulster are going to finish top ahead of Lancer, I would have laughed in your face. And now I am. I'm looking at the at the fixtures. Um, I think Lancer are a better team than than Ulster, but I think Ulster are capable of beating them in Belfast. Of course they are. And I think Lancer have four or five away games. And I was looking at the fixtures, and I was almost going. I, I honestly am trying not to look through my Ulster tinted glasses, but I genuinely believe that Ulster may also have a really, really good chance of finishing ahead of them. And if they do finish ahead of them, I think they'll win the league. So um, I'm reasonably optimistic. In fact, very optimistic. Yeah, obviously, KV, you, you played in that game back in, um, I think it was 2018, the quarterfinal of Europe. And, um, you know, it was a brilliant, brilliant game to watch. And Ulster... You know, ultimately came up short, but they put in a fantastic performance. You know, you've been on the back of beating Leinster plenty of times in your career, but you know, what was the feeling kind of after that game, and and even when you finished up, you know, the, that season or the following season, what was the feeling that you had for Ulster to take that next step to be able to beat Leinster and and beat them consistently? It's um, it's a tough one, and having left the game and then um, watched the final, I feel like Ulster have improved so so much, and the other provinces, I feel like everyone's improving, but for some reason, I'm not sure the gap has been getting smaller. Um, I think Lancer have been getting better um, almost exponentially, um, and like even thinking back to that quarter final, it was a weird one because you couldn't help me really really proud of, of of what we'd done but we were patting ourselves on the back for losing the Lancer again um which has been was a recurring theme of, of my career and even you know in the in the final of the league last year it was a bit of that as well it was like 
really Leinster last season were in a league of their own. So everyone else was playing for second. No one would have admitted it, but that was the fact. So for Ulster, it was like, job well done, really well done. Like, Ulster have finished second. That's realistically what everyone else was playing for. But you're still in the same place. We can't beat Leinster. Um, and we're celebrating being losers, do you know? Um, so there's two parts to it. I think Leinster are very, very good. But there's no doubt throughout my career, um, we we struggled. Um, there's no team. I haven't got the stats, nor will I work it out. But there's, uh, I probably lost more games to Leinster, twice as many games to Leinster as I did anyone else. Ian, would you agree that you're you're at your second place, or do you, being part of the squad, have the belief that you know, looking at your fixtures ahead, like who do you have in the next few, few games, and do you have the belief, and do you think the squad have the belief that yes, we can beat Leinster, we can be top of the table, and given the new format of the Guinness Pro Fourteen, that you guys will come out on top and potentially play Munster. Yeah, certainly. Like there's great belief in the squad, and I think, and I'm sure. Cavey and, and, and yourself Ian, will agree with me that like if you're going in thinking that you're second best or that you're not even going into a game like I've never in my life gone into a match thinking I'm not going to win this because yeah. if I did have that feeling I'd just say to the coach here look don't pick me and you know you'd, I'd probably just retire the next day and just say look I've, I must have lost the love of the game or you know the love to compete like because why would you ever go into a game or a league season not thinking you're going to win Um so no, there, there definitely is this great belief within our squad, um, and you know you can look back to that quarter final and you look at the missed opportunities and you think, right, well, if we'd taken those opportunities, could we have won? Would we have won? Yes, you probably would. You know, Jacob doesn't drop that ball over the line; it's a different game. Um, if we take those chances, I was just, just starting to forget about that, Mads. <laughs> <laughs> Nightmares. I did my I'd best to remind Jacob. <laughs> Yeah, so no, look, I think you know, when you're when you're only losing a game by one or two scores, you can always look at it and go, Look, if we did this a bit better, could that have made up the difference? And we're fully we fully believe that. Um we know that we're not perfect. We're still there's still large parts of our game that we know have to improve and we have to become more consistent. But I do believe in the short time that I've been here, I definitely believe that that gap is closing and I'm of the belief that we can, you know push further and, 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 and ultimately push ahead of, of where Leinster are. And saying that, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between Leinster and Munster at the moment. You know, if they played played each other tomorrow, who's winning that game in, in Thomond Park, who's winning that game in the RDS, I think that's going to be very close. Um, I've been really impressed with how Munster have done this season. I thought they were pretty clinical again last night. Um, and, you know, that's going to be a fantastic game whenever it gets rescheduled. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was... There was a lot of drama last night in the sports grounds. You know, I think Munster were pretty lucky to come out with it. Um, had Connacht been a little bit more clinical at the very end, like it was literally those last three minutes that everyone, I think, nearly had heart attacks down in Munster. Um, Munster were by far the better team for the majority for seventy for 77 minutes of the game. And then just Connacht only kept in by penalties, really. Um, Darren, did you, what did you think of that last night? And obviously, do you think Munster are the only team that can put it up again or have a huge chance of putting it up against Leinster? I was, um, 
I, I had it in my head after the week before. I thought, Connor are going to do this. And I got a little bit of sort of excitement. No offence to the millions of Munster fans listening. Um, they're already after me after my Ulster <laughs> FM commentary from the Ulster game last week. Um, but I just, and then suddenly the conference becomes really, really close. And it gets really, really exciting, which is what happens, and which is what's just happened in Conference A. It's gone from, look, Ulster and Leinster in the playoffs. Leinster are going to finish top. Ulster are going to be um, second. And then all of a sudden, the format changes. It's only one team, and the reaction is Leinster. And then, as we've alluded to before, suddenly it's like, whoa, like Leinster are, I think it would be exaggerating to say they're scrambling, but they have a lot of work to do. Um, and I, I sort of got a bit excited and thought, Connor are going to do the same now. Connor are going to get right in there behind Munster. So um, I was a bit, I was a little bit gutted at the result. Apologies to Munster. And yeah, in a guy, I agree with, um, with Ian. I don't think there's a, I think on their day, if Leinster play well, they win. But you don't have to believe that you're a better team than the opposition. You only have to believe that you can beat them on the day. And if I like, if 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 one of the current Ulster player or Munster player walked up to me and said, "Oh, I I believe, I under no circumstance could we ever beat Leinster today," like I'd hit them a slap. Of course you can. Joe Connor did it in the RDS with a bonus point. Like of course you can beat them, and that was what we thought in the quarterfinal. We knew they were better than us. They were they were they were far better than us. But that didn't mean on a one-off day in our cup final, we couldn't get stuck into them and beat them. Um, so, like, but listen, it's just exciting for me as a neutral. Ulster <laughs> um, bias there. To not, yeah, to have also to have Leinster now really scrambling for points and Ulster in the driving seat. Um, that's exciting, and I just had hoped that it had, um, was going to happen in in the other conference. But I suppose. The longest answer you'll ever get in your hosting career, Emer. Um, I think Munster are the best team in Conference B by um, enough. <laughs> yeah, I was actually disappointed with how Connacht played last night, considering how well they played against Leinster. You know, like their line speed was great, their defence was great. They were up for it. They wanted the win against Leinster, and I feel they wanted it more against Leinster the last day. Whereas Munster kind of flipped it as well and. The defence won Munster's game, like their line speed, their double tackles. I don't think John Port, Alex Wooten even got to touch the ball. They showed so high on the edge of their defensive line that, you know, what are what are Connacht good at? They're good at spreading the ball. They're good at playing expansive rugby and nice rugby. And Munster completely shut that down and didn't actually allow Connacht to play. And, and typical sports grounds, you know, lashing rain, wind, the pitch looked cut up as well. It's not an easy place to go, but, um, but I don't think Connacht would be actually proud of their performance from last night. Yeah, they didn't get their attack game going, but I think part of that was how well Munster defended. Um, you know, as you said there, they filled the field really well, got up really high on the edges, kept forcing the Connacht attackers back on the inside, back on the inside, and that's exactly where Munster wanted them because that's where they're strong. Um, but I think, you know, if you look back to the semi-final that Munster played Leinster in at the end of last season, you know, Munster have come a huge amount uh, forward in that six months like you look at the game plan that they had then it was really just a power game relying on Murray's box kicking a lot whereas you know if you look at how they're attacking multi-phase now there's much more variation in the game they're getting the ball out of their hands it's you know two three four passes they're getting the ball to their their key guys on the edge who are then making ground then their power cane comes in then they're moving the ball out of their you know out of their shapes um 
so no, look, in, in, in fairness, it's been some turnaround for them in the last kind of four or five months. And as 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 KV touched on there, I think they, they have a they have a pretty big edge on, on everyone in their conference and they'll be um I think they'll be gunning to send a message out to Leinster when that game's rescheduled to let them know, look, we're a different beast now and we'll be ready for you. Darren, how do you fancy coming up against DLN Day and Farrell in the centre? Big, big men, aren't they? And that's the way centres are now. It was part of the reason I was like, I'm getting out of here. I was about 90 kilos dripping wet with a wee Ned Kelly on me. So um, <laughs> uh, they're big. Um, but yeah, to sort of touch on what Ian said, um, I remember watching that semi-final. And I think everyone has a little bit of a soft spot for Munster. You cannot love them deep down, even though there's an Irish sort of rivalry. And I just remember watching that game. I'm just being so gutted with the performance. And I, I associate, like, and I'm 33 now, so I grew up watching Munster as, like, one of the most, like, one of the great, European teams, you know, I still still consider them as more of a European great than Leinster, just because, you know, that generation of that team, and I just have never seen a monster performance in such a big game against such a rival be such a like, it was such a letdown. The game plan, the box kicking, and the full time muscle went, and you were just like. What what was that? Like there wasn't even a whimper. It was literally like Lancer mosey on through. And to pick up on Ian's point, I have seen a little bit of a development in their game. Like they're still really, really good up front, still really strong when they get in opposition twenty two. That is what Monster Rugby is built on. That will always be in their DNA. You know, Coombs near the line, Stander, their pick and go game, Kilcoin's back now. They'll always be. Um, but also it was really nice to see them against Claremont. Um, I think it was Haley got the score in the end, but they scored a beautiful try. And I, I was sitting watching it, and I was going, like, that is beautiful rugby. Like, Larkham is a guy who, when we were all young, we were watching play for the Brumbies and the Wallabies, and such excitement about his arrival. And I haven't seen a lot of – I haven't seen as big an impact as I'd hoped for. And But that was a little bit of a glimmer. There was decoys, there was timing, um, lovely hands from O'Mahony, and it was a, just a bit more, um, it was a bit more like it. And actually, not to bring it back to what I always want to talk about, which is Ulster, I actually wouldn't mind seeing a tiny bit more deception and decoys and in their game. Sometimes I wonder with Ulster is the issue that it's so easy to be quite dominant at times in the Pro 14 without overly dressing anything up. Like I'm sitting here saying that Ulster's attack needs to improve. Well, it's not what I said, but it could improve. And like Ulster averaging, what, four or five tries a game in the in the Pro 14, it's probably a record number of points and bonus points. But I just wonder, um, you know, when it comes to the quarterfinal of Europe against Toulouse, when it comes to the final of the league against Leinster, when you can't bully a team, when you can't outmuscle them, when you struggle to get quick ball, when you're struggling a bit more for the gain line, and maybe Ian Henderson or Marcel could say isn't playing, what's the next option? And I think the short kicking game is quite good. And we have short kickers that are very capable. Um, but outside that, sometimes I just think it's something that the team would maybe benefit from. And I'll do my best not to talk about Ulster for the rest of the show. So apologies. Oh, my God. You're after bringing it back again from Munster, back to Ulster. Plenty of Ulster vibes here for our listeners. 
it's nice for a change, isn't it, Ian? Yeah, exactly. I wanted to wrap up part one by talking about Josiah Rosicki's bizarre red card in the French League. He decided to celebrate their away win by lifting the referee up over his head. Um, He got a red card as a result of that. Darren, did you see that? I saw it and it was a really... I didn't know what to think. I was actually on uh, Alexandria. I was on the edge of my seat. Um, what is this referee <laughs> going to do? Because you could see that it was kind of in good spirit. But you were kind of going, I've never seen this before. What's he going to do? Um, so, like, I don't know. Actually, Nigel, Nigel Owens got involved in, in Twitter, and I wanted to hear his genuine opinion. Yeah. Uh, but he made he tried to make some gag about dancing on ice. So, um I, I wanted to know what his thoughts were because part of me thinks, yeah, look, red card, don't touch the referee. That's it. Yeah. But part of me is like, you know, like it's frick, it's pretty harmless, isn't it? So I don't know. Ian, what do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you to to an extent. I, I, I think when you have a rule there saying don't ever touch the referee, like if you put your hand on the back of a referee and you're, you know, you're you're trying to say, look, they keep hitting me late or something like that. I don't think that's a red card offence. You know, you're you, you're trying to work the relationship with the ref, and I don't think that's a massive issue. As as there's a you know a, a clear line in, in soccer when you're playing, but I think I think the red card is the right decision there. You can't be doing that. You know the the referee is there to officiate the game to protect the players. You can't undermine them by doing something like that. It just sends out the wrong message to the game. And you, I suppose we've we've always got to be cognizant of the fact that there's kids watching and. If that's not acted upon in a professional game, then you know you, you could end up with um, with kids taking the mick out of referees, which is something that we certainly don't want to see. Yeah, I think referees have been a, have been a huge talking point this week. I'm not sure if you saw yesterday, but Kyle Sinclair tweeted an apology about his verbal abuse to the ref, and it was clearly caught on the mic. Which doesn't does that happen often? In, in rugby, I know coming from a GAA background, um, the re- relationship with the referee is completely different. And I think a lot of the GAA players would like to see a lot more of that brought into the communication with the referee and that would like to, would be very well, and I think, um, taken in the GAA. Um, but that kind of stuff doesn't happen or does it happen? And we just don't hear it a lot of the time. Go yeah, on. it probably does happen. It probably does happen more than people realise. But I think there is great respect for referees within our game. And it's also important to know with the, the Carl Sinclair one, like I was watching that game and, you know, there is a bit of a backstory there. So Carl Dixon, who was the referee and, and Carl, they both played together in Harlequin. So they're probably good friends. Um, so it's not like just a, a referee who's come in who he doesn't know, who he doesn't have a relationship with. He's he's actually friends with the guy. Now, that doesn't make it okay. Um, but saying that, he's also... What's happened to Kyle in the lead up to him lashing out at the referee, in my view, was extremely dangerous. The guys basically speared him with his head going into his knee. And if Kyle's feet weren't in the air, that's the kind of one that you can see a really, really nasty injury coming from. You know, you can literally blow out every ligament in your knee. So <laughs> he's seen red there and and reacted in a way that was a bit hot headed. But um I actually thought Carl Dixon managed it very well. At the time when I was thinking, look, he needs to act on this and at least sin bin him and just get a message out that you can't speak to referees that way. Um, but he diffused the situation, went to the TMO and then ultimately decided, look, it was a penalty. I can I can see why the player was annoyed, but don't ever talk to me like that again. Yeah, it was it was. Yeah, it's not the right thing to do. But obviously the the apology was issued by Kyle Sinclair anyway. And um, 
you know, he's he's Good sorry on. for what he did. Um, right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll chat more about Darren Cave, and he'll get more opportunities to talk about Ulster in part two. And we will talk about we'll talk about Paul O'Connell as an addition to the Irish coaching team, and for some young players that we think might get a shout out for this year's Guinness Six Nations. If you haven't already done so, click subscribe on House of Rugby Ireland to never miss a show. In 13 seasons with Ulster, Darren Cave lined out 229 times for the province and was a midfield stalwart. He was part of an Ireland under-20s team that won a Grand Slam in 2007 and made his test debut in 2009. He made 11 test appearances for Ireland with his final appearance coming in the 2015 World Cup against Romania. He retired in May 2019 at the age of 32 and has won a lot of fans with his punditry and rugby expertise on Premier Sport and even gave podcasting a crack earlier this season. He also holds the honour as the second most recognisable global sports star next to Rory McIlroy. The legend, Darren Cave. Nice introduction. <laughs> Did you like that one a bit better? That was a bit. Uh, that was a bit better. Thank you. Um, um, but yeah, very, 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 very flattering. Very flattering. And thanks for not mentioning the eleven caps against Georgia, Romania, uh, Argentina under twelves, America, Canada. <laughs> Who else did I play against? I did, I did. I said he made 11 test appearances for Ireland. Don't tell anyone who they're against. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I heard you taught Rory McIlroy everything he knows. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. We um, we went to the same school. That's his. uh, You'll often hear him refer to it. I was two years above him. Um, And, you know, one of us has uh, gone on to, you know, achieve spectacular things and the other one's stuck playing golf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I heard the spectacular things are the podcasting and the punditry how's that going for you not bad do you know what it's like it's it's interesting um it's funny actually you guys I know um you'll get a little bit of a look at it from doing these stuff um but see the like abuse <laughs> as like a commentator is far worse than when you're playing um so that's the bit I don't enjoy. Uh, what I've done was uh, grown a tactical moustache because all people tweet me about is how terrible my moustache looks. But um, I'm happy enough for that because they never mention the absolute nonsense that I'm chatting the whole time. Have you got much abuse in the punditry? Um, not too bad. You get the odd one, but um, like it, you, you have to laugh, do you know what I mean? And the thing, the thing that's really different about it is that when you're playing, if somebody tweeted you saying like part of your game wasn't good or like whatever it is, you guys know what what I'm talking about. You can kind of shirk it off because the person's probably had twelve pints. They're sitting in the pub and their opinion's completely and utterly irrelevant. Commentary's a little bit different because while you will get feedback from the people that are booking you you still don't want everyone who's listening to be like, Darren Cave is the reason the mute button was invented. <laughs> who's uh, from at, at Ian Madigan. Cave, <laughs> <laughs> okay, do, do you find like after doing a few games and, and let's say you've gotten a bit of stick, do you, do you kind of say to yourself, right, I'm going to try and be more positive so I don't get abused? Or do you, do you feel like it's affected your your point of views? Because obviously, you know, you understand the game really well. You're generally a positive guy anyway. Um, but at the same time, you still have to form an opinion. 
Yeah, it is quite hard. It's definitely hard because um, when you're just out of the game and you know so many coaches and, and players so well, and um, the thing I try and so what I try and do is, I think a lot of sort of pundits, commentators make try and make everything black and white, and you could call it sitting on the fence. But I think a lot of issues are grey. Like, uh, so I, I don't. I call it pub chat. And I try not to, that's my beef with, with punditry. So I try to, if, if, so for example, Ulster at the weekend, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't, I would say like, you know, Ulster, Leinster, like I think Leinster are better than Ulster. And I think if they both play well, Leinster will win, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be highly critical of Ulster, you know, and um, people also like, my pet hate would be someone to say, just just a lack of a lack of energy just um lack of passion and i'm like those are just those are just words that people throw around a pub like what do you mean like what are you trying to say and so i do my best to try and give a bit of color as the is the set piece struggle and is the ball slow why is the ball slow we all know the knock-on effect of that um so that's kind of what I try and do. And, you know, at the end of the day, if people don't like it, stuff it. Absolutely. Um, what else have you been up to since you retired? You retired at 32, which is a pretty young age to retire. Um, did you go out on your own your own decision or was it kind of a forced retirement? Um, I think I jumped before I was pushed, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so uh, if you're asking me, it was my decision um, because I made it before I was told to piss off. Um, now, listen, it's, um, yeah, like I don't miss it at all to extent where sometimes I worry about why I don't miss it. And I think it just comes back to um, my last couple of years. I was like, to say I was frustrated with selection was is an understatement. And... I've spoken about this reasonably at length before. Um, I may have been wrong and I may have been completely deluded, but that didn't matter because I genuinely believed it from the bottom of my heart. I, I believed it with everything I had. Um, so if it was nonsense, it didn't matter. And I never got a, like a reason, any reason for not getting picked. I used to just think, what like what is this like what are you like i just i just didn't get it and i suppose now i don't miss playing because i don't miss playing well or thinking i've played okay getting dropped coming in on monday the sort of wee conversations about that getting pulled to the coach the frustration the team's not picked on monday that my wife's asking me are you playing this week and i i hated that and i just felt like a child it's not fair. And I, as I said, I totally accept the fact I could have been completely and utterly deluded, but I believed it and it broke my soul. And I don't miss it in the slightest now because I just get on with life. I think yeah, it's funny you say that, KV. It's, it's probably one of the toughest parts of, of yeah. being a professional rugby player. Agreed. People say, oh, dealing with, yeah, like dealing with the injuries must be tough. Um, but I actually don't think dealing with not getting picked is anything as bad as the build-up to not getting picked yeah. or getting picked. So you're asleep, you're going going to bed on a Sunday night before you head in on Monday and you're going, 
I'm going to either be starting on the bench or I'm not involved. And not knowing that. And a lot of players, there's only a handful of players in a team that are going to be going in going, I know I'm going to be starting. You know, 60, 70% are unsure whether they're going to be starting or on the bench. And then the rest are unsure whether they're going to be involved at all. And playing that over in your head. And as you said, sometimes the team gets picked on a Monday. Sometimes it doesn't get picked until later in the week, depending on the kind of match week or depending what injuries the squad have. But those many conversations going on, you know, you're doing a bit of video analysis in, in a mini group with the three tens and you're reading into who's the laptop pointing at here. It's not really pointed in my direction. Yeah. Maybe I'm not in you now or Jesus, I'm right down the shoot of the screen here. I'm looking good for the weekend. You know, then there's a bit of mini chat going on and maybe you hear that, you know, such and such is in at fullback. And then you hear, oh, these are going to be the two centers and you're still trying to figure out, you know, he was quite warm with the handshake this morning, but not overly warm. So maybe I'm on the bench. You know, that kind of stuff is, is absolute torture is what it is. And yeah. I, I completely see why you don't miss that. And like you're going into a normal work week and you're going, right, this is what I've got to get done. And it's, you know, reasonably consistent. And I'm, I'm sure you really enjoy that. And I know you're very good at your job. Um, but yeah, like looking back on your career and, and I, I certainly won't be missing that when I finish up. I actually had a conversation with some of the girls today, you know, obviously there's a lot of tweets out at the moment about the women's six nations being cancelled. And one of the girls turned to me and was like, oh, Jesus Christ, at least we won't have the drama of selection. Because honestly, it's the worst part of it. It is like you have to take the positives with the with the bad as well. Like like six nations may be cancelled, but it's like, oh, thank God we won't have selection issues anymore. Um, because it's the worst part. Like you lose sleep over it. And and like that, Ian, you know, two teams are, are divided up the, like the day before, you know, a training, at the final training session on a Sunday. You look at the two teams and you're trying to see, okay, so Junior's on that team, which means they're definitely the starters. And you're like, oh no, but this one's over here. So, because they're never going to leave our captain off the team. So you're like, oh my God, I'm not on Junior's team. I'm not starting. And it's like the mind games that go on, like the computer there, your example is just it's comical and people are like you're crazy and I think it sometimes it makes you a bit crazy so Darren I envy you sometimes that you don't have to worry about that yeah and you'd see on the Monday when the, one of the coaches would hand out oh Mads you took on a bib there yeah. he took on a bib and then you would be like has Pinar got a bib Where, like, <laughs> it was one of those ones like um but um and oh, even, man, like, that stuff is just bonkers. And it's like. pathetic. It's pathetic. And, yeah. but, it's like again, schoolyard uh, stuff, picking a team. It's yeah. like, you know, the, the old schoolyard and the two lads picking the team or the two girls picking the team, and you're the last one to be picked. It's the exact same thing, except for bloody grown men and grown women dealing with it. And um, I suppose it's just, like, I find it a lot easier to deal. I think I was on the end of a couple of rough selections in my international career, but like, weren't we all? Um, and, but I was very sort of at peace with my exit from international rugby from sort of 2015 onwards, because I thought Jared Payne was brilliant. I thought Robbie Henshaw was brilliant. I thought that I could see, I was looking and I was like, as Gary Ringer was coming through, I was like, this guy's a phenomenal player. He's young. Like he's got all ahead of him. Um, and but I didn't see that at Ulster and that made it tougher and then like Tommy um Tommy but when I always used to joke we played an A game in Nice against Munster it was in April of the 2015-16 season but in the September we both started for Ireland at uh Mads remember the game um it was either against the All Blacks or Romania but it was at Wembley in the World Cup I forget which one team it was yeah. against and um 
90,000 people, Rugby World Cup at Wembley. And then, like, me and Tom are running out at Nace. And, like, and I always said if I, if, um, sorry, when I get approached to write a book, it's going to be called <laughs> Rugby Wembley to Nace. Because um, I don't know how I did it. Uh, I remember, you know, Les Kiss being like, oh, you know. Hey, in fairness, I think I was coming back from injury, but still, I remember him saying, like, I think I'd like you to cap in the A's this week. And I just thought, oh, for <laughs> that if you look up Poison Chalice in the dictionary, <laughs> uh, and I remember running out to the game, and I don't know if one person clapped, never mind, 90,000 people roared, and we belted out the arch anthem. So um, anyway, I don't have to deal with that anymore, so uh, I'm loving it. What are you filling your time with these days? You're, you are an owner of a coffee company. Is it in Belfast? Or coffee shop? Yeah, we have we have five now. Um, and um, exclusive news close to close to being a sixth. Um, ah, again, I don't want I don't want to bore everyone enough. I, part of the reason I left rugby was because I had a good career opportunity with a foreign exchange company here based in London. And they basically, on the January of the season, I was thinking about going. They were like, look, we would be happy for you to come work for us. We'll teach you how to do it. You don't have to study again. You can work um, as much as you want or as little you want. Here's the salary. Um, and thank goodness I, I took that job because a year later, um, the CEO who recruited me was from Belfast. He'd left the business and COVID had come in. So I wouldn't have had that job opportunity. Um, so I've been like outrageously busy and I think the last thing which has made it easier is my first and only daughter was born a month after I retired so I've got this like weird dynamic in my head whereby I have this life that I lived where I was a professional rugby player and I've got this new life where I'm a dad and for me, I never experienced them at the same time. So I like see them as separate things. So I kind of feel like I've swapped the life of professional rugby to become a dad. And I know it's kind of a bit warped and it doesn't really make sense. But in my head, that's how I view it. And I go, look, I'm now a dad and that's the best job in the world. And I wouldn't swap professional rugby for a dad, you know, because in my head, you can't do them both at the same time. So you swap dumbbells for dollies, essentially. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And uh, she's 18 months old now, and she's uh, getting into her prams and like all that stuff. So, um, yeah, we're we're loving it over here. Very nice. Looking back on your on your rugby career, not to delve too much into, we, we'll um we'll try not to talk too much more about Ulster. But in 2007, you were part of an Ulster. You were in part of an Ireland under 20 squad. Um, who was on that team with you? Um, it was a bit of a dream team, to be honest with you. Actually, um, bizarrely enough, Dan McFarland was a coach. He was the forwards coach. and uh, um, But it really was a who's who. It was um, like Kane Healy, uh, Jamie Hagan, Connor McInerney. Uh, I know some of these names won't be household names to everyone, but um, Andrew Brown, TJ Anderson, Sean O'Brien, David Pollock, Owen Grace, um, Tommy O'Donnell, Paul O'Donoghue, like it was. Luke Fitzgerald was was injured. Felix Jones was very good. Keith Earls was probably our best player. Um, David Drake, Drake, he was on the bench, yeah, for a few games. Um, who have I missed? Keats, Ian Keatley. Oh yeah. 
and then in my opinion, he was a tiny bit younger. And then in my opinion, I was I was probably the best player, but that might not have been correct. <laughs> but this is my show. I'm in the middle. But uh, yeah, it was a like I don't know. Like I just rhyming them off there. There's probably like thirteen to fifteen. Cal Tanetti, remember him, Mads? There's about fifteen yeah. pros out of the team. And what, looking back on your career, what was your proudest moment? If you had to pick one. It's such a tough question, Emer. I was I was actually about to start this that answer by saying I can't pick one until you slip that little bit in the end there. Um, my favourite day in an Ulster shirt was beating Monster because I want to talk about Monster of and Connacht more. Yeah. Because they're not getting a good... Uh, 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 the, they're not getting a good. Uh, they're not getting their money's worth out of this podcast. Um, <laughs> in the Champions Cup final in 2012, in the yeah the quarterfinal, sorry, uh, and then for me the World Cup, going on playing at Wembley and stuff. Um, they're probably the two. Unfortunately, I never won anything, except for the most improved player award 2008 2009, which is behind me. Um, <laughs> An award you never want to get, like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, the, the the medal of excellence um, for 2019 for the um, the bloke who tried the hardest. Oh well, look, it's the little things. KV, obviously we were in we were in a good few Irish squads together, and we were lucky enough to to go to that World Cup in 2015. You always kind of struck me as a guy who really enjoyed the kind of day to day process of being a pro, and you're always great crack in the gym or or on. Um, during training sessions, um, do you miss that kind of bond that you had with the players and that kind of day-to-day fun that goes on within within the rugby environment? Definitely yes, but not as much as I thought I would. I think I think I had this thing on a pedestal, and it's maybe nice for you guys both to hear this um, that it's not like I had. A, I was so worried about leaving rugby, mental health concerns. What am I going to do? Loss of identity, friends. All this, and I thought about it so much. I was petrified, and even the guys like who just left before me, like Trimby and stuff, he would say, "Oh, I miss the, I miss the banter and the changing rooms, and I miss the physio room, and I do miss it a bit, but probably not to the level I thought I would." Um, I'm not altogether sure why. I think I'm just busy, you know. As I said, got the forex stuff, got the coffee shops. Um, Trying to get my golf handicap sorted unsuccessfully. Um, it's going up like my waistline. Um, but I, I that, but not as much as I thought I would. Interesting. Um, some news during the week was that Paul O'Connell was announced as the forest coach for the Irish team. Both of you would have played with Paul. Um, what type of a character is he to first off play with? We'll talk about his coaching style and what he will do to the Irish squad in a second. But what was he like, Darren? Have you got any stories about Paul playing with him? Apologies to anyone who's listening to this podcast looking like something real juicy, but like unfortunately for me, um, it's the party line. I absolutely love the guy. I think the sun shines out of his arse. I just think he's an absolute like national treasure. Um, I remember actually at the World Cup when the first week, um, Robbie Henshaw got injured in training and 
Um, I was pretty. I was probably the only person at the World Cup who was actually an out and out centre. Yet I managed to not get picked. Only I could do that because <laughs> all the lads were playing fullback and stuff at that stage. And uh, I remember Luke got picked to play at twelve in the first game because Robbie had dropped out, and it was a wee bit of a surprise. Um, and I remember Polly pulled me to one side and when we arrived in Cardiff and was like, look, Darren, I thought you were going to get picked. I'm not sure why you haven't, but um, if you're going to win a World Cup or be successful, we need 31 guys. We're not even here and we can't have something festering. Like, keep your head down. You will get opportunities. You will play. And I remember thinking, flip this guy. Like, it was the most irrelevant thing to his what he was preparing for. He was preparing to captain his country in a World Cup. So Luke Fitzgerald and Darren Cave in the centre. Like, like, I was surprised he even noticed. Um, but for him to take the time and pull me to one side, you know, I always remember thinking, flip, like, that just shows the, the mark of the man. Um, even in many ways, Mads, like, it was such a cruel way for him to go. But actually, his injury, but part of me thinks... This is going to sound weird. It was almost quite fitting as well that the last like memory I have of this guy playing rugby is um, with a ruptured hamstring trying to get back in the defensive line. I remember vividly, and and to me, like like what a cruel way to go, but also like what a good way to go. Is there is there a more like this guy has ruptured the hamstring off the bone and he's trying to get up in the defensive line because he knows that the team is more important than him. Um, so I always thought. You know, he wouldn't have chosen to go that way, but it really does show the mark of the man. Yeah, certainly. Like I, I think it, it's well, um, well described. You know what a player he was, what a leader he was. Um, you know, and we were lucky enough to to share a change room with him. And you know, some of his talks the day before, the day you know before taking the field, they're just incredible. Like you know, and um. I remember, obviously, we were younger guys at the time. I remember thinking, Jesus, this is unbelievable. I wonder if every captain's speech like this, and obviously they're not. You know, everyone's got their different styles, but his were just so captivating. You could hear a pin drop. Um, and then, you know, the way he played, he always led the defensive line, led the line out. He was, you know, ferocious in the malls. But I think that something that people don't realise is the kind of soft, softer side to Paulie. Like, we see glimpses of it, you know, he was on the late late or he's... You know, doing commentary, you see glimmers of his humour, but like he's genuinely a really, really funny guy, um, and his ability to switch on for for training and games, obviously he puts everything into that. But is also his ability to switch off and connect with all the players and coaches, um, and see the softer side to him and knock a bit of fun out of the day. I think that's actually going to be huge for the Irish squad because they are under a bit of pressure at the moment. You know the. the Automations Cup went okay. You know, it's didn't go amazingly well, but finished off with a, a decent game against Scotland. Um, him coming in and being a fresh, breath of fresh air around the players, around the coaches, I think that's going to be a massive lift aside from the, you know, actual, actual rugby nous that he's going to bring to the table. Absolutely, yeah. And look, as we saw, the set piece got a lot of slating in the Automation. So, Hopefully he can do something with that with that set piece, and I'm sure the players will really, really respond to somebody like him as well. Like a lot of those guys would have grown up, you know, looking up to someone like Paul O'Connell. So I think we're all looking forward to a better set piece in the new year. Hopefully, Darren, we could stay talking to you all day, but we have to get to our Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame. Um, we asked you, all our listeners, to name some uncapped Irish players that you feel have earned a call up to Andy Farrell's squad ahead of the Guinness Six Nations. Um, this one got a huge response. We had loads of responses to this one. 
Um, there were a lot of mentions for Gavin Casey, Tom O'Toole, Ben Healy, Ryan Baird and Harry Byrne, even a couple of Tom Daly shout outs. But a lot of you want to see Munster back row. I'm pretty happy with this one. Gavin Coombs in here. Our Hall of Fame entry though is Ulster fan Richard Dawson who put provincial bias aside to say he'd love to see Gavin Coombs involved. Welcome to the Hall of Fame Richard. So I suppose really quickly Ian who do you think what young players have you been really impressed with um, name two or three or whoever you think you know that might be in with you know a chance of that extended panel. Yeah, well, obviously, like guys who've who've played that are coming back but are still young, like the likes of Hugo Keenan and mm. and Larmer at the weekend. I thought they showed that you know um, they have every reason for being in there again. And it's more, I think, a question of where Hugo's going to play now. You know, whether it's going to be on the wing or or at fullback. Um, and I think you know Jordan's probably a shoe in. He looked pretty sharp, I thought, against against Ulster. For for us up in Ulster, I think James Hume is, is someone who's who's yeah. been playing really well. Um, in the midfield, there's a lot of real quality midfielders. We we spoke about Tom Farrell last week, and then obviously we've the front line guys, the likes of Bundy, Shu, um, Robbie, obviously Chris Farrell. So you know it's very competitive, but he's definitely someone who's shown glimpses that he is up to international standards. Mike Larry is another guy who, who definitely offers something a bit different. Um, I know he's he's one of the smaller guys who's who's out there playing professionally, but. His footwork is something that we've seen the likes of Colby and stuff like that, and um, he's someone who the more he plays, is he's going to keep putting his hand up, and I'd say he's he's definitely on the the international coaches' yeah. radar. So, I agree. Um, he was phenomenal in the air last week as well. For someone of his height, you know, and in challenging conditions, really good contestable kicks. He was so solid underneath those kicks. Emer, will yeah. you and Ian stop talking about Ulster, please? <laughs> Um, Darren, what's <laughs> tell me about you now? Who do you think is going to be called? I've changed room to go in tomorrow. Emer, thank you for asking. There's a young chap uh, called Ian Madigan who's uh, ticking all sorts of boxes. Um, no, listen, um, actually delighted that you asked me because um, I was, it's a very competitive position. Ireland at the minute. I don't think they have a Scooby-Doo what their best team is. Same as Ulster, actually. But they've uh, they've loads of players. Um, so a lot of... It's hard to get in the group at the moment, I think. Um, but Craig Casey, for me, is the guy who's... like I know he's behind Conor Murray, Murray, and I know there's loads of nines in Ireland, but he was um, he was really impressive um, against Ulster, and he has been um, throughout the season so far. And then... The other one that Munster, who I was quite impressed with, who I hadn't seen a lot of, was Witcherly in the second row. So again, uh, with the Ireland squad, there's loads of depth. Um, but they're two guys that I expect to see, if not this Six Nations, in the uh, foreseeable future. Absolutely. I think Finian Witcherly made his name when he lifted up Johnny Sexton in Thoman Park at the Winter Pros there a few years back. I think that's where everyone first noticed him but yeah absolutely for sure I'm glad you mentioned a Munster man there two Munster men there um Darren thanks so much for coming on and having a chat with us cheers to everyone for watching and listening don't forget you can continue to get involved on our Facebook and on our Twitter groups a big huge thank you to producer Pat Paul Cullum Anthony Paddy and everyone that helped in getting the show together this has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness Slán Guffal Slán House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe Together with Guinness, game changed.